Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everyone. We'll get started. Anybody here for the first time tonight? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to anybody joining us on Zoom for the first time. I'd like to start class by um, reflecting on some topic um, and then having you talk to each other about, about it uh, in service of a core tenant, a core principle in Buddhism is developing community. And um, not just listening to the teacher, but listening to each other and meeting each other and um, supporting. Eventually, if you get interested, you get involved, we call it Sangha. We take refuge in the Sangha, the community of people who are applying these principles, practicing this path. So I make you talk to each other. We start with that. I know the introverts are like, fuck, I came to close my eyes, but um, start. I want to just reflect the last two weeks. We've been talking about the heart practices and the Buddhist teachings on the importance of kindness and compassion. And tonight I'm going to talk about equanimity, which is a balancing, a wisdom factor, a balancing to compassion. As a reminder to everyone, um, from a Buddhist perspective, we live, uh, he calls this realm, Buddhism calls this planet Earth, this, you know, human experience that we're having, they use a term samsara. And he says, so here we are in samsara. Samsara is uh, defined by the noble truths, the truth of um, suffering that here in this world, in samsara, uh, suffering is a given. Everyone is experiencing some level or another of suffering. Um, We're just born into a nervous system that craves pleasure and gets attached, uh, that hates pain and gets aversive and angry and uh, afraid of pain. And so because of that natural survival instinct, we constantly create suffering for ourselves because we're not good at understanding that everything is constantly changing. And uh, we're not good at letting go of the changing conditions and accepting the changing conditions. What Buddhism offers us is a path to train our minds to be less attached to be more accepting, to be uh, less aversive, to be more compassionate. I'm gonna talk a little bit about, we we did all last week on compassion, but uh, can't really talk about equanimity without compassion. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about compassion tonight. And the opening question for you, for you to discuss with each other is in this world of sometimes overwhelming suffering, I mean, all you have to do is turn on the television and you'll see a whole bunch of Uh, injustice and suffering and uh, pain and confusion and ignorance. You don't even have to turn on the television. You can just look out the window uh, often, or you can, you know, especially if you open your uh, social media, you know, and there'll be all of this sort of tragedy that is happening and 
Um, and it's just the reality on this planet, lots of tragedy on this planet and in samsara, lots of suffering, lots of confusion. Now, I don't wanna, uh, you know, that's, that's true. What's also true is there's lots of beauty, there's lots of joy, there's lots of love, there's lots of, you know, amazing experiences to be had. A happiness is possible. <laughs> it's not, you know, like sometimes because Buddhism starts with looking at what's the problem, uh, it can get sort of a bad rap of like, oh, you Buddhists are so pessimistic. <laughs> and the, you know, the optimists are like, hey, what about all the joy? Buddha comes around to that. But the core way that we're looking at it is if we address the suffering, what will remain is kindness and love and compassion. If we ignore the suffering, it will just compound upon itself. So we turn towards it, we look at it, we address it in our own hearts, in our own minds, and, and in the world. So in this world where you know, suffering can sometimes feel really overwhelming, and um, there's so much pain that we experience personally, there's so much pain that we witness in the world, uh, the environmental destruction, the uh, you know, racism and sexism and ageism and all of the oppression, all of the ism that is happening, the ignorance that is you know, just part and parcel of culture, of civilization, of especially our capitalist world. It's, you know, it's just gross with ignorance. Um, you know, the, the animals being mistreated, being tortured, all of that reality that we live in. And, you know, sometimes we're kind of in denial of it, but probably at times we wake up and we kind of like, wow, this is a really fucked up place we're living in, this planet, where people aren't loving, aren't kind, aren't friendly to, aren't generous to each other. Now, you know, the, so the Buddha started with, let's address that um, and let's see what we can do about it from the inside out, uh, starting with our own transformation. And then what can we do to help create a positive change in the world on the planet? My question for you is, how do you deal with the overwhelming suffering in your life in the world? What is it that helps you not get overwhelmed, not just be depressed and, you know, suicidal? There was a time in the Buddha's teaching where um, he went so hard on this sort of suffering and confusion and ignorance and uh, that a whole bunch of monks killed themselves. There was like a mass suicide of Buddhist monks in the time of the Buddha. And uh, he was like, oh, I, I better back up a little bit. <laughs> You know, not, like, yeah, it's bad here, but it's not like kill yourself bad. It's like develop compassion. It's do what you can to be loved, to be kind, to heal what can be healed and to help each other. Use your life's energy to help uh, create positive change is, is the core of his message. Because if we get too down on just focused on what's wrong, uh, it can be overwhelming, it can be unbearable. So talk to each other, small groups, maybe just three people, a couple minutes each. What helps you deal with the suffering in your life and in this world? I'll create small groups for you guys at home and in the room. Just introduce. It's good to talk to people you don't know yet better than just talking to your homies.
talked a lot about compassion last week. I think one of the um, most maybe surprising things to me, and I think a lot of people, is that in the Buddha's definition, understanding of compassion, um, there is zero attachment, zero suffering. Sometimes we feel like when I'm, ha when I'm having compassion for others, uh, I'm suffering about their suffering. I'm suffering about their pain, you know? Um, and that from a, is not true compassion from a Buddhist perspective. And our goal is to get to the place where we care without being attached, uh, without needing it to be different than it is, where we care, but we accept that there's pain, that there's suffering, that there's terrible injustice on this planet. We care, but we don't add our, so we don't suffer about it. We don't suffer at it. We don't suffer at the suffering. Easy to say, hard to do. It's pretty natural for us humans to suffer at the suffering, become angry and then suffer because of the angry people, because of the confused people, because of the confusion that's happening. The whole goal of Buddhism is to learn to end suffering, not to add to it, not to compound it, but to end it. And the whole teaching of the four truths and the eightfold path is this is how we can end our suffering. And compassion is central, caring, loving, kindness, generosity. It's all central to the teaching, but it's so difficult to be compassionate to be loving, to be kind, to be generous, um, and not take other people's suffering on. So difficult. One of the equanimity is the heart practice, the balance of compassion. Compassion says, I care deeply. I feel for you. I feel with you. I care about my own pain rather than hating it. I learn to be gentle, kind, friendly, accepting of my own pain. Instead of hating that you're in pain, I learn to be kind, gentle, friendly, accepting that you're in pain. I find it very easy to, and I've even said it a couple times already tonight, to feel like there's something wrong. It shouldn't be this way really easy for my mind to be like this is like it just can't like it it just shouldn't be this way and it, which is a lack of acceptance a lack of uh maybe some lack of understanding that i continue to hold even you know years and years into my practice i because I, I have a core feeling that you know the world shouldn't be so confused but it is And this is the Buddha's teaching. He said that one of the ways to come into more acceptance, to understand what's going on here, and this is where it loses a lot of us, I think. He says, part of what's going on here is the law of cause and effect, karma. Every negative action has a negative consequence. Every positive action has a, a positive result consequence. Now, this is true from the Buddha's teaching perspective, you know, from this is what Buddhism teaches. Um, and not only uh, is cause and effect uh, a law of nature, also rebirth. That each one of us 
is experiencing what we're experiencing based on our own past actions. We took this birth based on our own past actions. Everyone's experiencing what they're experiencing based on the causes and conditions that they created for themselves in this lifetime or in the past. Now, I, that's the Buddha's teaching. You can kind of sit with that for a moment. Does it make sense? It's a little bit hard for me to grasp, to accept. Uh, and it's quite easy for our minds to then um, blame victims, you know, and kind of use karma as a, so, so somehow twist karma into like, well, it must've been your karma that you were abused, oppressed, born into poverty, whatever it was. And it's absolutely not the teaching. And the way that I make sense of it, and you can try this on for yourself, you get to make sense of it yourself, but the way that I make sense of it is um, not so much thinking about past lives or why are we born into these situations or some people born into privilege and some people born into poverty and uh, I just, I can't get my mind around it. So I really look at it as this lifetime. How do we respond to what's happening in our lives? Whatever circumstances we're born into, whatever pain we encounter, whatever difficulties we face, that I look at karma as not why it's happening, but how are we responding to it? Karma means action. What is, how am I responding? What, how am I reacting? And so like when we meet all of our pain with hatred and take it all very personal, we're compounding it. We're creating more suffering for ourselves in the future. But when we learn to meet our pain or the pain of others with compassion, with empathy, with understanding, we are creating a positive karmic response. And we are transforming our uh, experience. In the equanimity meditation, there's a phrase that says, uh, to balance the compassion that you're developing, remember all beings are heirs to their own karma, are, are heirs as in um, inheritors. You, you know, you're the heir, you're the, you will inherit uh, your own actions. And all beings' happiness or unhappiness does not depend on our wishes for them. The, you know, no matter how much compassion we have for each other, your compassion can't end my suffering. You can have all the compassion in the world for me. But if I don't have compassion for myself, I'm going to still be miserable. No matter how much you love me, if I don't learn to love myself, I'm going to still be miserable. No matter how much you, right? And so this is where the Buddha is saying, like, you know, this is a law of nature. Everyone's responsible for their own reactions. Now, it is true. I think it's true that, you know, there's varying, level, varying levels of difficulties that, that people face. And um, some people are born into situations that's not that bad. It's just the human mind craving and aversive and self-set, just the, you know, the normal situation, but it's not poverty and it's not oppression and it's not um, trauma and abuse. 
And then a lot of people in our community, I think actually the majority of people that come here have faced a whole deeper adversity than, than the average. Addiction, trauma, uh, suicidal ideation, uh, you know, lots of loss, lots of violence, lots of uh, pretty common in our community. The meditation tries to uh, create a, a mind habit and understanding. Everyone is responsible for their own happiness. Everyone's happiness or unhappiness is going to depend on how they're responding, how they're reacting, how much wisdom they're developing, how much compassion they're developing, not our wishes for them. Because like last week, we were wishing, may all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be happy. And it's a beautiful wish. It's a beautiful meditation to train our mind to have that kind of love, that kind of kindness, that kind of... But the Buddha says now, but don't get into like uh, magical thinking about this. Don't think you're going to pray away the suffering in the world. It's not the way it works. Everyone is responsible for their own happiness. Now, Buddhism starts with a little bit of a, a bad news. You know, it starts with like everyone's suffering. First noble truth. Everyone experiences, not all the time, but some of the time, everyone experiences suffering as part of birth. But it gets around to the good news, the third noble truth, which says all beings have the power and the potential and the ability to free themselves from suffering. We can become enlightened. We can become kind and compassionate and happy and joyous and free. Like that humans actually have that ability in this lifetime through our own actions. Now, some forms of Buddhism have sort of like been like, well, it might take many, many lifetimes. The Buddha over and over in his teaching says this can be done in this lifetime, no matter how bad your karma is coming in. No matter how ignorant you have been, no matter how much suffering you've experienced, and there's the famous example that I love to use of the serial killer in the time of the Buddha who becomes enlightened. And he was, uh, his name was Angulimala, and he was murdering people, and there's a whole teaching and story about it. But anyway, he was a murderer, and he came to the Buddha, and he said, I, I've been so confused, so ignorant, so, you know, my wounds, I just spilled out on everyone. And I want to learn the Dharma and I want to heal and I want to forgive. I want to be forgiven. I want to wake up. And he was able to, in that lifetime, purify his karma, even after all of that murder. Now, it's an extreme example that says, if that motherfucker can get free, so can you. Anyone can. Because sometimes we come in and be like, well, I'm pretty broken. I've been sniffing cocaine. Whatever, whatever, you know, I'm pretty broken. I'm pretty wounded. I don't know how free I can. I really hate myself. I don't know if I can get free. And, you know, imagine how much that guy must have hated himself. Because, you know, in this story, he was not a um, sociopath. He was not somebody who, you know, killed without any regret. He was just really confused and then just hated himself. And through the Dharma, learned to not hate himself, learned to forgive, be forgiven, ask for forgiveness. 
this meditation that we'll, we, will, we will do here in a minute um, is primarily about our, the ways that we suffer in relationship to others. How much of your suffering is about others? Being attached to people, being aversive to people. Um, imagine if you could take away all of the suffering that you do about other people, about the world. That's what this meditation, you know, is it, the more we understand karma, the more we can see uh, everything is happening, cause and effect, the conditions that give rise to it. Everyone's responsible for their own happiness. The more we come to understand that, the less we suffer about other people's confusion or ignorance. When we see people behaving in unskillful ways, we understand they're going to receive the karma of that. I don't have to punish them. I don't have to hate them. I don't have to suffer at them. They're creating their own suffering. Try that on social media. When you're scrolling and you're seeing these ignorant fucks <laughs> posting their political bullshit. And you just be like, well, you know, this person's creating a bunch of negative karma for themselves. I don't need to hate them. I don't need to hate, suffer at them. What a confused human being. What a confused human being with compassion, but also with the equanimity that understands this person is totally responsible for their happiness and they're creating unhappiness for themselves. Wish them well. Hard to do. This is the advanced practice. Wish them well. Send them loving kindness. Have compassion and that equanimous understanding. So we'll meditate on this equanimity. Afterwards, we'll talk a little bit about uh, equanimity in our own lives, about all of the loss that we experience and the uh, criticism that we experience and the, um, you know, the unpleasant experiences of being human in relationships, praise and blame, gain and loss, praise and, uh, or, um, uh, fame and disrepute, pleasure and pain. We'll talk about the what are called vicissitudes after we meditate. So find a way to be that's upright, relaxed. Find a posture in your chair that's comfortable to begin with, but sustainable. Allowing your eyes to close, your awareness to come inward. Take a moment to release any tension that your body's holding. Soften your jaw, your shoulders, your belly. Feel your breath as it enters. The chest expands, the belly rises as it exits. Belly falls.
bring to mind someone that you care about, that you have compassion for already. Someone that's easy to love, to care about. A dear friend, partner, a parent or a child, or perhaps even your pet, your dog. In your own heart, uh, expressing love, appreciation, compassion for them, knowing that this is a being like all beings who experiences some suffering, stress, difficulties at times. In our heart, sending love, and balancing the love with reminding ourselves. that this person is responsible for their own happiness. Their unhappiness or happiness is not dependent on my love or my wishes for them. Or how they learn to respond skillfully to the pain or pleasure in their life. I wish for your happiness, but I understand that you're actually responsible for your own happiness. Your actions are going to create your happiness in your life. Of course, this is a bit easier to understand with humans that have the conscious ability to choose uh, in a way that seems more obvious than animals. Start to reflect on the other people that are easy to care about your nearest and dearest, closest friends, parents, children, siblings, friends, uh, partners. Once you bring them to mind, invite them into your heart with love, with kindness, with compassion. And remind yourself, these people are all heirs to their own karma, their actions, how they respond to what's happening in their life is going to create their happiness or unhappiness, their freedom or their suffering is dependent on their wisdom, their compassion.
expanding this reflection to include the people you talked to tonight. Maybe you have met them before, maybe you haven't. But this person from your Zoom room or sitting next to you here in the room, just like you, wishes to be happy, worthy of kindness and compassion, has the ability to be free in this lifetime through their own actions. In your own way, in your own heart and mind, saying to each other, I wish you freedom. I wish for your happiness. And I understand that ultimately it's up to you. It's a choice you have to make over and over to let go. It's a choice you have to make over and over to respond with mercy and compassion to all of the difficulties in your life. Try to expand this reflection in widening circles. Other friends, associates, people in the community, the Sangha, your recovery fellowship, your professional colleagues. People in your circles, in your hobbies, the scenes that you are connected with. Compassion is the wise response to pain. We learn to be compassionate. Kindness is the appropriate attitude towards each other. And equanimity, the understanding that we're all responsible for our own actions. We're all receiving the karmic fruit of our own actions.
And our happiness or unhappiness depends on how we respond to what's happening. Wishing for our loved ones that they will create the wisdom necessary to have happiness. They will develop the compassion necessary to navigate the difficulties in this life. But we can't do it for anyone else. Extending in greater circles to include uh, difficult people in your life, the annoying, the unskillful, the unwise. Remembering that they have karma, they're creating their own unhappiness, but also remembering they're worthy of compassion no matter how ignorant or confused they are. They're just suffering beings. The Buddha encouraged us to radiate compassion and equanimity to the east and west, north and south, above, below, including all of the animals of the sky and the earth and the sea with compassion to the animal realm, with kindness to the animal realm, and also equanimity. Animals also have their own karma, just like humans. The goal is to eventually come to the place where we can hold the whole world in our hearts with love and compassion and not suffer about what's happening here, but meet it with friendliness and mercy, to have equanimity as we acknowledge all of the joy as well as all of the suffering on this planet.
All beings are heirs to their own actions. All beings, happiness or unhappiness depends upon their actions, not my wishes for them. For the last couple of minutes, just coming back to your heart, mind, body, back to you, yourself. Soften your belly, soften your heart, your jaw, your shoulders, even to this discomfort of sitting still, the pain in the body. We can see in real time how resistance intensifies discomfort. But when we soften to it, it's an act of compassion that lessens the pain, lessens the discomfort, removes that extra layer of suffering on top of the discomfort. The Buddha said we could search the entire world and never find anyone more worthy of our love than ourselves. Learning to love ourselves, to have compassion for this mind, this heart, this body that experiences all of these difficult emotions, the sadness, the loneliness, the fear. tending to our own pain and remembering that we can find freedom, that we are on a path that leads to freedom and that we're responsible for our own happiness. It's not going to happen all by itself. It's why we meditate why we renounce negative karma-producing activities. As we create the happiness that we seek.
So maybe a little bit of discussion of this teaching, this perspective. Everyone's responsible for their own happiness. Um, we're very limited in what we can do for each other. What we can do is support, encourage, educate, sometimes protect. We can protect each other sometimes. Um, inspire. Yeah, there's a handful of things that we can do. We can show up for each other. We can, you know, pick up the phone. How are you doing? We can uh, encourage people. Have you, you know, are you meditating? Are you, are you doing what you need to do for your own well-being? We can encourage it. But we can't make anybody meditate. We can't make anybody have compassion. We can't make anybody let go of that pattern of confusion that they've found themselves stuck in. We can model it. What, what you don't want to do is become a real preachy Buddhist, one of those really annoying convert Buddhists who like goes around telling everybody, have you heard the good news? <laughs> do you know about mindfulness? Let me teach you the forgiveness meditation. You have to, uh, you know, wait uh, for those openings where it's appreciated, where the, it's, uh, you know, going to be received well. You don't want to go home for the holidays and be like, all right, everybody, we're going to meditate now for 30 minutes before we cut the turkey. But if you model it, I've seen that in my own life a lot of times where people get interested. They're like, oh, you're less of a jerk than you used to be. You're kinder, you're more patient, you're whatever it is, they see something in you and us for our practice, and then it, people get interested. They start asking you about it. So any questions about this radical perspective? That you're fully responsible for your own happiness. It's not about what's happening in the world. It's about how you're responding to what's happening in the world. And that this is true for all living beings. If you have a question or a comment at home, you can raise your hand in the reactions button. No, nothing? Okay, I'll keep going then. Max, go ahead. Uh, I'm wondering if you have any tricks you can share. Um, I like what you said earlier about uh, like you start to pick up something as a problem, like a feeling comes up or something and you're like not being autonomous and it's like all of a sudden it's a problem or something. And, um, I definitely went through a lot of that today. Um, in spite of meditating 45 minutes, right? So it's like, it didn't really do much for me in the moment. And I know it's like, I'm, I'm expecting the, your answer is like, oh, be mindful. Like that's not helpful, right? Um, to me, that's why I'm asking for like a trick. So like, recall that, oh, I'm perceiving this as a problem. It's not a problem. 
Well, what if you had remembered, uh, not mindfulness, but, but this equanimity? What if you had remembered karma um, in the situation, that you have your karma in the situation, that everyone else in the problematic situation has their own, is creating their own happiness or unhappiness? And if, you, if you'd, what if you'd remembered that? Would it have helped? I would have avoided that, you know, but like, ah, that sounds right. I don't want to do that. That makes sense. Um, it sounds right. The karma piece would sound right. And then it would be like, oh, but that's too much responsibility. Like, I'm not, I don't want to do the work or something. Or, I feel like, cause I was so in it at that point. I was so attached at that point. Yeah. That. Yeah, maybe, maybe like if I hadn't gotten aware of it much earlier, that, that could have helped. I'm going to give you some really bad advice. Hey, no, can you paraphrase for us? Sure, I'll try. Uh, Max was saying that um, the, the part that I was talking about where your mind kind of like just says like, it's just wrong. It's just a problem. It's just, um, and uh, do I have a trick for how to work with that and i said well you know what if you, you heard what i said like around what if we applied this equanimity to it and um so here here's what yes try to be mindful yes try to remember equanimity yes try to remember impermanence yes you try to remember the dharma and sometimes you're just kind of caught in something and here's you know my own bad advice and my own experience and especially my uh developmental you know the, my early years of practice where i just couldn't do it like i knew i was supposed to let go but i just couldn't let go i knew i was supposed to forgive but i was just too involved in the resentment i, I just you know like there's you've heard me say this a bunch of times there's this weird dilemma that we have uh when you've been studying buddhism for a little bit where you know the answer you know what you're supposed to do <laughs> you know because it's like three things that you're supposed to do I'm supposed to let go because I'm attached to something. I'm supposed to have compassion because it's painful and I'm resenting it. Or I'm supposed to not take it personal. I'm not supposed to be so, you know, in the I, me, mind. Like this kind of <laughs> three interventions. But so, and you know that, like, oh, I'm supposed to let go. I'm supposed to have compassion. I'm supposed to not take this so personal. But I can't. I'm fucking mad or sad or, you know, overwhelmed in whatever way. And I can't not take it personal. And it's a problem. They're a problem. I'm a problem, whatever it is. So, uh, you know, you said, oh, maybe I would have just continued watching TV. That's my bad advice. And, you know, th that sometimes uh, there's a distraction and we can choose a healthy distraction rather than like, I'm going to be so spiritual. I'm just going to meditate. Oh, I did 45 this morning, but now I'm just going to sit in this. That's good advice. If you can muster the kind of like, yeah, I'm going to do some walking meditation or, but sometimes you're like, I'm not. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to turn my, uh, you know, that um, there's a term titrating when it comes to like feeling our pain rather than being macho about our spiritual. I'm going to go into the center of it. I'm going to kind of feel the edges and be like, you know, I'm a little overwhelmed in this and I, I can't quite let go. So I'm going to actually turn away from it. I'm going to distract. I'm going to watch some television. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to, uh, 
I, I, you know, for me, like I'm going to turn on some really loud music and I'm going to see if I can get the music to drown out my confusion, <laughs> my anger, my fear, whatever it is. Uh, it's not the most Buddhist answer, but it's true about how my practice has been over the years where sometimes it's like nothing's working and I'm going to put on the bad brains and just fucking, you know, feel that and let that energy of that, you know, uh, passion replace my afflictive emotion or whatever and then we come back to it you know because uh it's still here now or when you sit tomorrow morning for 45 minutes whatever that problem was this afternoon still gonna you know you're gonna sit there and your 45 minute morning sit and you're gonna process it again and it's an ongoing you know so rather than i have to have some trick in the moment to get rid of my confusion yeah, try. Oh, reflect on karma, reflect on non-attachment, reflect on impermanence. Uh, nothing's working. <laughs> right? And that humility. I think humility is such a central necessity to our prog you know, uh, process of developing wisdom. And, you know, I, I was surprised to hear Ajahn Chah, who many people thought was an enlightened being. He's the Thai forest meditation master monk who's kind of uh, the teacher of my teachers. I never met him. He died in the 80s but, uh, or 90s, but um, he's, he's, you know, m many of his students have been my direct teachers. But in one book, he's quoted of saying um, some, some, something like half of the time we know what to do and we can't do it. You know the Dharma. You know to, you know you're supposed to let go. You know you're supposed to forgive this person, but you're in the resentment. You know you're supposed to have compassion, but compassion is just not accessible in that moment. It's just an idea. The direct experience of it isn't available right now. So there's the humility to just be like, yeah, tried, <laughs> failed again. I don't know if it was. Some Tibetan teacher, it might have been Chogyam Trungpa, who's not the biggest fan of, but there was a quote that I heard that said something like meditation, sometimes meditation is just one insult after the next. You sit here and your mind judges you and you say, oh, I should not be so judgmental. And you're like, yeah, I'm not a very good Buddhist judging myself. And now I'm judging myself for judging myself. And now, oh, I should forgive myself. But, oh, fuck that. I can't forgive. And there's all of these layers of sitting here trying to meditate and be kind. And my mind's just abusing me. Sometimes it's like that. It gets better. I don't want to create too dour of a... Over the years, you get more skilled and more able to intervene. And, uh, you know, maybe in the beginning, 5% of the time, you have a successful intervention with compassion or non-attachment or not taking it personal. And then it becomes 10%. It becomes, imagine if, you know, if that, what Ajahn Chah said was true. And imagine if half of the time you had the wise response to what you were experiencing. How much happier would you be? If half of the time you knew compassion was the answer and you had compassion, you knew non-attachment and you had, you knew that the, their, that's their karma and that you can't change anybody else's karma and you stopped being so codependent and attached and suffering about what other people are up to. If you could even do that half of the time, wow, that's fucking amazing. 
what a increase in your quality of life if you could even do it half of the time. Now, Buddhism is very optimistic and it says, actually, you'll be able to do it all of the time. You could, you'll get, you know, you'll get so good at it, you'll naturally respond with. One of the other things I was thinking about for the equanimity is um, the saying that comes from Ajahn Chah's student, uh, Ajahn Sumedho. Um, right now, it's like this. So even when you're in that place and you're stuck and you're not getting out of it and you're not having the peaceful resolution that you want your spiritual, uh, you know, meditative response to be and you just say to yourself right now it's like this and it's painful and i'm stuck in it and i'm but it's, it's a phrase of acceptance it's like this right now it's not the way i would like it to be but it's the way it is it's anger it's fear it's lust it's judgment it's you know or you know sometimes right now it's like this and it's like totally peaceful like it when it's like it's i'm at ease Right now, it's like this is understanding it's impermanent, whatever it is. It's just for now. Right now, it's like this, but it's changing. It's rising. It's passing. It's unfolding. Philip, go ahead. Jump in. So I've heard it talked about like the near enemy of equanimity is, is apathy. And sometimes I find myself wondering, like, am I really being a quantumist or am I just being an asshole? So like what, what are some good ways to develop like some discernment between equanimity and apathy? The presence of compassion. Equanimity uh, is a companion to compassion, to caring. Apathy is I don't care. Equanimity is I care and I understand my limitations. I feel like in equanimity, I, I, the way that I experience is often like, I wish I could do something. I'm willing to do something. But I understand that the, in this situation, uh, I have lim I'm, I'm limited in how I can. I, I see that your suffering is coming from your clinging. And I know I can't do much other than support you and letting go, encouraging you to let go. But I can't let go for you. I see how angry you are. I care about you. I'd like you to not be so angry. Uh, compassion would be a wonderful practice, but I know I can't make you become compassionate. So, uh, you know, the apathy does feel like, I, you know, I don't care. Equanimity cares. It's a caring non-attachment rather than a detached uh, avoidance. Allison. You know, um, I've heard, you know, we've talked at times about kids and la la la. And, uh, Rick and I find ourselves with a, our 24 year old deep into their addiction. And it feels like letting go is giving up. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it's such a confusing, oh, and a suffering place, you know, to see your child just consistently making decisions that look 
like they're, you know, life altering in a negative way. Like you've said before, you never know, maybe it's the best thing, you know, I don't know. I just am having so much trouble with ease around this. And now they're living with us, which is just like this day by day watching of it all. And it's like, ah, I just wondered if you have any (laughs) advice or I've got lots of compassion, but I also have lots of, lots of attachment, I guess. Yeah. Is how it feels. I don't have a lot of advice other than, you know, maybe the stuff I was saying earlier with Max, which is that humility of like, cause you know, you've been practicing and um, you know, you've got a black belt and Al-Anon and all of, you know, all of the stuff, you know what to do. <laughs> and so sometimes we just, um, you know, we just have to have that humility of like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to detach with love and, you know, uh, have equanimity and all of that. And I can't quite, you know, and it's my kid and I'm attached and I see how I'm suffering because I'm attached. And I get what you're saying around um, that idea of non-attachment is like sort of turning our back on it, but it's not what we're saying here. It's saying with compassion, sitting with it. Uh, but I, have you ever done the equanimity practice, like really with him, like bring, bring your 24 year old or, or your other, all the kids <laughs> to mind and just kind of send to them, you know, I love you. Yeah. And I know that your happiness or unhappiness is, I mean, probably you did it tonight, but maybe doing it for a month or two months, especially mm-hmm. since he's living with you, take it on as a daily practice, reminding your mind that mm. they're responsible for their own happiness. Now, mm-hmm. you're going to continue to say, hey, I'll provide a roof over I don't want you to be on the street or whatever it is. I, you know, I'm going to do what I can do um, to support you. But also, ultimately, I can't make you be sober. Or I can't make you, you know, uh, be anything. Yeah. All right. I'll keep doing that. <laughs> Yeah. Nice to see you. Marianne, maybe last one online. You're still muted, I think. Okay, so you can go. you hear me? Yeah, now we can. I'm, I'm not sure that I can articulate this, but I was thinking that one group of people that uh, realizing that people are responsible for their own situation, the truly mentally ill, the truly mentally ill are in situations they're suffering and I don't think that they always have the ability to free themselves because they're suffering from a terrible condition and so you can not be suffering over them but you cannot avoid sorrow 
And so it's in a way too, it's like animals. Mm -hmm. They can be being abused and suffering and they have no power. Like mentally ill people, some of them have no power to escape what is hurting them. I'm not sure that I'm, I'm asking a question about this. I'm just reflecting on the fact that suffering and sorrow over mentally ill people and animals, they're two different things. Makes sense. And, you know, compassion is still the right uh, response that we wanted to, de to develop. And I think that, you know, kind of the, the Buddhist view is that might be true for this lifetime, um, but that it's not, this lifetime's not the end. You know, that animal might be in that factory farm their whole lifetime. That person might have that, you know, uh, mental illness this whole lifetime, but that there is a, a rebirth process going on here. Um, and so uh, it doesn't mean that they won't get the chance to free themselves in the future, even if in this lifetime, chances aren't looking that good. And if you're not certain that there is rebirth, then all you can think of is that death is a release from suffering. If that's, yeah, if that's comforting. Yeah. I was... Um, thinking about one time I gave this talk and my friend Moak was, Stephen Moak was in the room who did a bunch of the work here and he, he died a couple of years ago. He was a good friend of mine and of the communities and actually built this space for us. And he, um, we're talking about, we got it, it went off into this karma and rebirth and, you know, um, you know, we're talking about the animals that are in factory farms and like what kind of karma like brings, you know, or, or humans into terrible situations or, um, and I said, this isn't really how it works, but, um, there is the question of like, okay, like, let's think of like the Nazis. Um, and if, if reincarnation is a thing, what, what kind of rebirth does, uh, you know, a Nazi take where where where's the nazi reborn is factory farm possible rebirth for uh you know, not that we want to say like it's all of those fucking poor chickens in the cages fault like they were all nazis and that's why they're being tortured in cages you know but anyway i kind of i i, I sort of offhandedly said that and then he drew me a picture of a nazi chicken it was this chicken with like an ss band on it, and he's like Chickens are fucking fascists, aren't they? <laughs> Not quite how it works, <laughs> but maybe it's possible if reincarnation is happening and there's all of these really confused beings, what kind of rebirths are they taking? Probably into some pretty unpleasant situations for the karma that they've created. So um, I actually was thinking about ending early tonight. Let's end early. It's Labor Day. Although Russ told me Labor Day is bullshit. <laughs> and that it's propaganda by the capitalist system. It's like a pizza party, basically. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like the corporations saying, we're not giving anybody raises, but we're not giving anybody equal pay around here. But have a pizza, have a day off. 
try, trying to distract us from the real Labor Day, which is May 1st. My communist friends know what I'm talking about. Anyways, sorry to offend some of you. Uh, <laughs> patriots. Um, you know, I was thinking about we we made these um, flyers. So a couple things. As I'm gonna, I am going to end early. A couple things. We made these flyers. The flyers are um, there. Take flyers. Uh, you know, like give them to people who might be interested, or put them at a coffee shop. Or we made we tried to make a thousand, and we hit, hit an extra zero, so we made ten thousand of these little postcards. So you know, take a stack and uh, you know put them somewhere where somebody who might be interested in meditation, you know, um, is. Um, it says seven o'clock on the flyer, even though class is at 7.30. And then somebody recently said to me, why don't we just move class to seven? I'm like, you know, that's not a bad idea. I don't know, we've been in this 7.30 slot, but the older I get, the later it is at nine o'clock when we're done. And uh, seven to 8.30 sounds pretty good. Uh, also for some of our East Coast friends, I'm sure they wouldn't mind, uh, you know, they're, they're up at midnight over here, like, uh, you know, there's a bunch of people from the East Coast who are like hanging in there and they, we start at seven, it's 9.30 for them or 10.30, 9, 7, 8, 9.30. Yeah, hardcore. So if we started at seven, it'd only be 10. Um, is there anybody here whose like schedule would not like with seven o'clock, that 30 minute shift would make it difficult for anybody? All right. I'm going to think about it, talk about it, and then maybe move to, I'll give plenty of notice, but maybe move to the class to 7 p.m., 7 to 8.30 instead of 7.30 to 9, get done a little earlier. Um, is registration still open for Friday? We, we have a retreat that starts on Friday. It's a seven-day silent meditation retreat. Uh, we probably should have registration closed, but um, we didn't actually meet the minimum that we need in order to pay the retreat center. It's going to cost us a little bit of money. We're going to lose some money on the retreat. So if anybody wants to come, uh, we would love for you to come. We'd love for you to pay to come so that we could meet our minimum. Um, but there is some scholarship availability. Uh, Seven-day retreat from this Friday, the 8th until the whatever it is, the 15th, I think. Uh, and then on the East Coast next month, I have a five-day retreat in upstate New York in the Berkshires. Um, I think that's October 9th through 15th or something like that. I don't know. Um, those are both refuge recovery retreats. Um, I think that's it. Oh, we have a new t-shirt um anyways there's a new t-shirt for those of you here we didn't put them online yet but if you're here in the room we've got these new lowrider against the stream t-shirts all right i hear on the chat that 7 p.m is mom approved okay that's good cool class is done by donation there's a donation link in the chat for those of you who are online um uh our volunteer tara is not here tonight sebastian i'll sit at the desk you can put cash in the bowl you can use the venmo or paypal links that we have um to to donate and please be as generous as you can um 
against the stream has been in existence and fully supported by the, the generosity of the community. Um, this Monday night class has been going on for almost 18 years and it continues because people donate and support uh, what I'm doing and what we're doing here. So please consider being generous and um, consider becoming a monthly supporter of the center. A lot of the community says, I just want to give $50 a month, whether I show up or not, just to support this and make it available for everybody who wants to, wants to come. So consider that. Would it be against the stream Venmo? Yeah, against the stream Venmo. I'll be gone next week teaching, but um, Ward Robinson will be subbing for me. Ward is somebody who's done teacher training with me, teaches a Friday night class. He's an East Side Los Angeles guy and uh, Ward's cool. And he'll be here next Monday with y'all. So uh, we'll leave it there for tonight. Many goodness that comes from our practice, our discussion of the Buddha's Dharma, lead us to liberation. And may we share this merit with all beings in all directions. May each one of us get as free as possible. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.